We are continuing our Advent series, which we are calling a Hallmark Christmas, where we are talking about Hallmark uh, moments. And what we mean by that are just the feel-good moments that we come to expect this time of year. You know, like the kind you see in Hallmark Christmas movies. And we've been having a little fun with the Hallmark Christmas movie thing. Um, I know Brett showed this last week, but I just absolutely um, love this. And I know Brett asked this last week. Uh, how many of you watch Hallmark Christmas movies? No judgment. No judgment. You can be honest here. It's okay. Um, and they are, while they're not my cup of tea, they really are popular. Um, and, it's, and I wonder if, if one of the reasons for that is because we need more feel-good moments in our lives. You know, my criticism of them is they're pretty much the same movie, right? You know, two people who don't like each other at the beginning of the movie uh, fall in love by the end of the movie. Uh, Brett showed this last week, which was great. Go ahead and put that on there. Um, you know, they're pretty much all the same movie. These are eight different Hallmark Christmas movies, and they're all the same. The guy is on the left wearing green, the girl on the right wearing red, with the exception of one of them, where she's also wearing green. But it is, they're all, this does not help go against my theory that they're all the same movie. It reinforces my view. It's all the same movie. Uh, in this series, uh, we decided for each of us to come up with our own Hallmark Christmas movie title and screen. So this is one Shannon and I came up with. Uh, we're, we're, we're calling it Sappy Holidays. It's pretty cute, isn't it? Okay. Um, even though we're calling it Sappy Holidays, there are all sorts of titles you could have with this. You could call this uh, Christmas Sweeties. You could call this a Sugar Cookie Christmas. You could call this a Saccharine Free Christmas. But regardless of what you call it, it would pretty much be the same movie. Um, they even have a Hallmark Christmas movie bingo game that you can go online uh, and, and get. Um, and so you can download a bingo card, watch the movies, and mark events on your card as they happen. And so whether it's an airport scene, or a snowball fight, or an interrupted first kiss, uh, the game does a pretty good job of capturing what you are going to see. Again, the movies are kind of predictable, all right? Um, likewise, our Christmas routines are pretty predictable. Uh, we know what's going to happen pretty much every year. You know, there's Black Friday shopping and Christmas lights or a Christmas tree or Christmas decorations, Christmas movies and music, uh, Christmas Eve service, opening Christmas presents, some kind of Christmas gathering. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it into Luke chapter 2. When we do the same thing year in and year out, over the years, Christmas can seem kind of mundane. Again, because it's the same thing every year. And we, we really don't want it to be the same. We want it to be special. This time of year, there's this expectation that it's supposed to be special. We want our own hallmark moments. And this whole feeling or thought isn't limited to Christmas. Our whole lives sometimes can feel like the same old, same old, same old. Uh, last week, we talked about looking for hallmark moments in the chaos of our lives. This morning we're going to be talking about looking for the hallmark moments in the mundane of our lives. Because in the mundanity of our lives, we are just looking for something to make it feel special. Um, our scripture reader for this morning is Toby Hellman. And so I'm going to ask Toby to make her way on up. As she does, I'm going to ask all of you who are able, please stand and face the center of the room. 
We read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture should be central in our lives and we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, Toby, whenever you are ready, please read from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Toby, thank you very much. You may be seated. You know, many times our overfamiliarity with the story makes us miss something amazing about the story. But this time, being too familiar with the story makes us miss something else. Uh, because we've read this so many times, we kind of fail to realize, if you look at what was just read, this part of the Christmas story is boring. It's boring. This is the birth of the Son of God. And the Christmas story is supposed to be mystical. It's supposed to be wondrous. And what we just read, if you, were, you, know, if you go back and think about it, isn't any of that. And so what do we do when God is boring? You know, there's a passage from the Old Testament prophet Micah which talks about the birth of the Messiah, the one who is going to come to save. And Micah 5.2 says this, says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem, and Mary and Joseph, they are living in Nazareth, which is a solid 40 miles from Bethlehem. And you would think that there would be some amazing way that God is going to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But God doesn't do anything amazing to get them there. He does something really boring to get them there. You know, how does God fulfill Micah uh, chapter 5 verse 2? Well, first of all, if you look at the first two verses of Luke chapter 2, there's a census. A census which has tax implications. Uh, it mentions how Caesar Augustus, and this would be the son of Julius Caesar, he decrees a census of the entire Roman Empire. And again, while the passage doesn't mention it, this is for tax purposes. And so there's a ruler who wants to revise the tax code for his own benefit. How original is that? You know, I can't think of a less exciting detail to the story. What is more mundane than taxes? Or taking a census. What's exciting about that? Nothing. And then the story continues in Luke chapter 2 that there's some traveling involved. The next three verses 
talk about traveling, where people are going to their own towns to register. And so Joseph is going to go, and he's going to take Mary with him. And so even the first Christmas, there's a bunch of holiday traffic. It's not terribly exciting. Um, for those of you who may be wondering how long did it take him to travel, the length was probably somewhere from four to seven days. Um, you know, a normal trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was probably closer to four days, but there's a good chance that this trip took longer because Joseph has a pregnant Mary with him, which kind of leads to another part of the story. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail. The fact that Joseph took Mary with him. Why bring Mary? You know, last week, Brett shared um, a little bit of some personal chaos he was experiencing about a month ago, where uh, his wife, Laura, was um, nearing the end of her pregnancy, about to give birth. You just saw Louisa up here, but about a month ago, she wasn't born yet. Um, and at the same time, um, unfortunately, his grandmother, who lived up in Washington State, was nearing death. And he was trying to figure out, well, you know, if my grandma passes away, I want to make the services, but I don't want to leave my pregnant wife behind. And so he had a lot going on, and it was a chaotic time uh, for him. But you know what wasn't an option for him? Was, hey, you know, if your grandma's service does happen before the baby comes, you can always just take Laura with you. That wasn't, yeah, I hear her laughing. That wasn't an option. That was not an option. Why you don't take your pregnant wife, who is going to give birth soon, on a road trip, right? That's relationship 101. You don't do that. Well, that was true 2,000 years ago. And yet Joseph takes Mary, his pregnant wife, about to give birth soon, on a road trip. Why? Well, the only reason he would do that was if it was absolutely necessary. And there's lots of possibilities for why that would be necessary for him to do that. It wasn't because he needed to take her for the census. She didn't need to go for that. It's more likely something was going on in Nazareth where there's a good chance that she was ostracized because of her pregnancy. She was pregnant out of wedlock. That was a big no-no in that time in that culture. And that would make her unwelcomed. And so Mary and Joseph have to travel to Bethlehem because of taxes and ostracism. Not necessarily the makings for a Hallmark Christmas movie. And then it goes on to say that there's this registration that's to take place. In verse 3, everyone has to go to their hometown to register. And I don't know what this registration would have been like, but in my stage of life, we're in the middle of college applications. Uh, two years ago, my son was applying for colleges. This year, my older daughter is applying for colleges. And in two years, guess what? My younger daughter will be applying for colleges. And I don't know what the registration was like in the story, but if it was anything like applying for college, it wasn't wondrous or mystical at all. And then the passage just says the baby was born. The last two verses from the passage simply mention the baby's birth. And they placed him in a manger and wrapped him in cloths. Uh, a detail about there was no guest room, so uh, that's why he had to go in the manger. And the manger was most likely in a cave where the animals were kept. And that's it. That's the story of how Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There was a census that required Joseph to go to Bethlehem. Mary had to go along for whatever reason, and the baby was born there. There's no angels. There's no magi. There's no God speaking in dreams. This is not real exciting stuff. And so how do we respond when God is boring? And I think it's important for us to remember 
that God is the Lord of all history, all history, not just the exciting parts. And so the census and the registration and taxes and the reasons for Mary having to go with Joseph and no room for them when they get there and all these actions from what Caesar did to what the people of Nazareth did to what happened in Bethlehem, God used all of these things to accomplish his purpose. They were all part of God's divine plan. And yes, God does the spectacular and the wonderful and the miraculous to accomplish his purposes. But oftentimes, oftentimes God uses the everyday, the commonplace, the mundane to accomplish his purpose. I have a quick question I would like for you to discuss with the people around you. So go ahead and look around. Find someone around you that looks relatively friendly. Okay? Um, and I just want you to take a few moments to answer this question. How did you end up in the Magic Valley? How did you end up in the Magic Valley? Maybe you were born here and you've lived here your whole life. Maybe you're relatively new to the area. But how did you end up here? Take a couple minutes. Tell the people around you. Okay, that's uh, pretty good. We don't need your whole life story. Just the part of how you got into the Magic Valley will be suffice. It's great. No, thank you for doing that. Hey, uh, my guess is that whatever you just shared, whatever you just shared, and I'm sure the people around you would affirm this, it wasn't terribly exciting, right? Your story is probably pretty uneventful. How you got here is probably a boring story. No one is going to make a movie about your journey to the Magic Valley, right? Okay. And I could have had you come up with all, I could have come up with all sorts of questions for you to talk about. You know, like, how did you end up in your line of work? What is that story? Or how did you end up married if you're married? Or how did you end up single if you're single? Um, how did you end up with the friends you have? How did you end up with the hobbies that you're into? Think of the everyday common circumstances in your life. How do they happen? What are the details? Because whatever those details are, they're probably not real exciting. I bet you you got a bunch of boring stories. I bet you you do. And there are no Hallmark Christmas movies that are going to be made about your stories. Look, anyone can amaze if they have the ability to do miracles. Only God can do amazing things with the routine. God took regular, everyday events and used them to bring about the birth of his son, just as the prophets foretold. And look, brothers and sisters, it's real tempting to believe that the details of our lives don't matter. 
but they do matter. The details of our lives, they do matter. God works in our ordinary. God works in our routine. God works in our commonplace to accomplish his purposes. God works in the hard and tough details of our lives. There is more going on in our lives than we realize. There is more going on in our lives than we realize. In the 16th century, there was something, there's something uh, historic that happened. It's called the Reformation. Uh, some of you are familiar with it. Uh, there were men and women who looked at the beliefs and practices and structure of the church, and they stacked those up to what the Bible said and saw that change needed to happen to some of the beliefs, structures, and practices of the church. And those people were called the Reformers. And one of the key Reformers was a man named Martin Luther. And at the time, it was believed that when it came to what we did with our lives, only those who had formal church roles, like pastors, only those people had a special purpose from God. And that belief was real common a long time ago, but I still think it's pretty common today that only those of us with formal roles in the church have any real special purpose from God. But Martin Luther didn't see that in the Bible. Martin Luther saw in the Bible that whatever we do in life, it is a special calling from God. Luther said this, what you do in your house is worth as much as if you did it up in heaven for our Lord God. We should accustom ourselves to think of our position and work as sacred and well-pleasing to God. Every occupation has its own honor before God. Ordinary work is a divine vocation or calling in our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving the neighbor. And we also participate in God's ongoing providence for the human race. In other words, the everyday, ordinary things that you and I do, they matter to God. And God will use them to accomplish his purposes. Or, as the Bible says in Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying in Colossians is, don't just go through the motions. The details of your life matter. What you do in the everyday matters. So it's Christmas season. And we're celebrating again the birth of our Lord and Savior. And I don't know what your traditions are, but if you do them every year, it's easy for it to become the same old, same old. But this Christmas... Don't just go through the motions. If you're going to celebrate, then celebrate. You don't have to have hallmark moments, but don't go through the motions. 
And I don't know the history of why we celebrate the way we celebrate. And if you don't like celebrating the traditional way, that's great. If you want to find some other traditions or make up your own traditions to celebrate, go for it. But for those of you who are going to do the traditional Christmas routine, look, when you go shopping, your thoughtfulness matters. It matters to who you buy for, because even if you do the gift card thing, put some thought into it. And your thoughtfulness also matters to those you interact with as you shop. It's a hectic time of year, and you can either add to someone's craziness, or you can be a blessing when you go out. Um, we got pizza the other night, and it was a carryout order, and when I showed up to pick it up, uh, they realized they completely messed up my order, and so I had to wait for them to redo it. And, um, and you know, those kinds of things, I'm probably like most of you, it, it, it's bothersome. It's like, come on, help me out here a little bit. Um, but the guy behind the counter, he felt really bad, and his coworkers were not being real nice to him about the mistake that he made. And as I said, I normally get irritated at this kind of stuff. But you know something? I wasn't in a hurry. And I just looked at him and I said, you know something? And he's being really apologetic. And I said, you know, if this is the worst thing you did today, you've had a good day. You've had a good day. To the people you shop for and to the interactions of those you shop with, your thoughtfulness matters. And when you open presents, when that time comes, your reaction matters. Our loved ones who bought us a gift, again, even if it was a gift card, they wanted to get us something we would be excited about. And so our reaction matters when we open gifts. And when you go to gatherings, whatever those Christmas gatherings may be, your interactions matter. The attitude you show up with, the words you say, what you do, all of those interactions matter. And if you go to the Christmas Eve service, your worship matters. Your invitation matters. Christmas Eve service, it's a great tradition, but I hope it's more than that. It's a time for you and your family and your friends to come together and worship our King who came as a baby. And if there's a worship service that someone you invite to will come to, it's that service. And so this Christmas, if you're going to celebrate, celebrate. And God being at work in the routine is not limited to Christmas. God is at work in the everyday events of our lives. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. I often hear people say things like, you know, in regards to the seemingly small things of life, you know, God doesn't care about that. You know, there's this idea, perception, that God only cares about the big things. You know, the big problems like, you know, world peace, hunger, injustice. And God, make no mistake, cares about those things. But those things are not big to God, for God. They're big problems for us. They are not big for God. In view of an eternal God, I doubt those are big problems. I doubt God is scratching his head when I don't know I'm going to deal with world peace. These things are not big for God. There is nothing that is big for God. 
But for God, it all matters. Our careers, they are not big to God, but they matter to God. Our families and friends, they're not big to God, but they matter to God. Every detail of our lives, they are not big to God, but they matter to God. If God came to you in a dream or sent you an angel with a message and told you that he had something he wanted you to accomplish and then starts to unpack what that might be in detail, and as it's being unpacked, it seems like something mundane, but the message is very clear. This thing really matters to God. What kind of effort would you put into that? It seems like an everyday thing, but you're told... It's really important, God, for that to happen. What kind of effort would you put into that goal? Every detail of our lives matter to God, and if they matter to God, they should matter to us. And so God is at work in the everyday events of our lives. Do you act like it? Or are you a lot like me? And you just go through the motions. The God who transcends everything we understand, the one who is before time, the, the one whose presence we cannot escape, the one who created all things, the one who split the sea, the one who gave sight to the blind, the one who can make the lame walk, the one who rose Jesus from the dead, is deeply interested about how things are going in your home. Is deeply interested about how things are going at your work, is deeply interested about how things are going with your friends. God is at work in the everyday events of our lives. And he will use them to accomplish his purpose. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you that um, in your incredible wonder that you care about things that seem like small, insignificant details, but they're not insignificant to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love and care for us. And Lord, I would ask that you would um, remind us and that you would give us the strength and the perseverance to not simply go through the motions of our lives, but Lord, that we would be reminded and act that you are um, paying attention, that you care about what's happening even in the mundane of our lives. And Lord, that we would respond accordingly. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.